You're listening to the Tri-State Community Church Podcast, a ministry of the Associate Reformed Presbyterian Church located in the greater Pittsburgh metropolitan area. For more information, including service times, please visit us at facebook.com forward slash Tri-State Reformed Church. Let's hear the word of the Lord. Paul writes, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, but I say walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit, and the desires of the Spirit are against the flesh. For these are opposed to each other to keep you from doing the things you want to do. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. Heavenly Father, we pray that you'll instruct us from your word this morning, Lord, as we begin to Uh, work our way through this final section of Paul's letter to the Galatians. Well, Father, we do ask for your help. We pray, Father, you'll help us to understand, help us to learn, help us to apply, help us to align our hearts with that which we learn. Father, we look to you for all these things, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, I want to begin this morning um, by just doing a little exercise here. You know, the subheadings that we have in Scripture are really helpful. And with what I'm about to say, I'm not criticizing the subheadings. I don't want to give you the wrong impression. I'm saying subheadings are bad. Uh, But sometimes they get in the way. Um, And I want to back up to verse 13 and read verses 13 through 18, only doing our best, especially if you're looking at an ESV. And as you look around the room, probably most of us are. And let's just act like the words walk by the Spirit, that subheading there. Let's act like it isn't there. And let's read verses 13 through 18 in one continuous uh, movement, if you will. For you were called to freedom, brothers. Holy, do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. For the whole law is fulfilled in one word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. But if you bite and devour one another, watch out that you are not consumed by one another. But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the desires of the flesh are against the spirit, and the desires of the spirit are against the flesh. For these are opposed to each other to keep you from doing the things you want to do. But if you're led by the spirit, you're not under the law. Some of you may have already done that, depending on how familiar you already are with these words. You may have begun to see maybe some of the continuity there. Uh, If you didn't, be of good cheer, because we're going to go over this. And as I promised last week, you know, last week I introduced a number of uh, new things, a couple of new things, um, t- two of which I want to revisit this morning. And in many ways, this morning is going to be a little bit of a revisit of last week, but it's going to help us uh, set up for verse 16. Um, in many ways, we're going to be looking at verses 13, 14, and 18 this morning. Um, so I just ask that you bear with me. If we back up to verse 13, there Paul says, you were called to freedom, brothers. And of course, that means sisters. You're called to freedom, brothers and sisters. And if you recall, last week, the message really was about freedom, but not freedom to be and do whatever we want, but freedom to become Christ-like. That was really what um, I was trying to get across. How well that went across, I don't know. But um, that's that was the burden of last week's message anyways. And this morning, I want to revisit that and hopefully uh, put another uh, layer of paint on that and try with a, I have an illustration that I've modified here that I think is maybe going to help us uh, hopefully lock that one into our minds and our hearts. But when we were talking about freedom last week, we 
automatically went back to chapter 4 and verse 3 uh, to a, a, a word that we've been looking at a lot through the course of this, and it's translated by two words, elementary principles. In verse 3 there, chapter 4, Paul says, in the same way, we also, when we were children, were enslaved to the elementary principles of the world. And I've defined this a number of times. You're probably getting tired of hearing about it. But I really want to impress these three definitions into our minds. And those three definitions, let me just ask somebody, tell me what are the three definitions? Anyone. Okay, I feel like I'm repeating myself a lot, but you see, I still need to keep repeating myself. And I know it's hard. I didn't, I didn't mean, I'm not implying anything here, but we have to keep doing this. We have to keep doing this over and over again. Those three definitions, and as soon as I start one, you're going to remember the rest of them probably. Uh, one, you know, is the fundamental components of the universe, right? And the next was spiritual beings. And the next was a, just the basic principles of an area of study. It's so important for us to get those in mind. Why? Because this is what we're living in. This is what we're breathing. And, you know, as we've looked at this, these elementary principles of the world. Okay, right now we have a half an hour or so together, 40 minutes, maybe 50 minutes together um, to really begin to, to sit together, to sit under God's word. But as soon as we go through those doorways, guess what? We are going to be showered upon and immersed in the elementary principles of this world. That's what we're seeing on television. That's what we're hearing on the radio. That's what we're hearing as soon as you get on your phone and you look at, oh my goodness, it's social media. What are you getting hit with? You're getting hit with these elementary principles of the world. And as we've talked about these largely, the application has been towards the Gentile Galatians. Uh, most of the time, um, that's what we've, that's been the application we've made. But if you look at verse three again, notice Paul says, in the same way, we also, when we were children, were enslaved to the elementary principles of the world. And with that, we, I take that to be, Paul's including himself in that as a first century Saul of Tarsus, if you will, before he became the apostle Paul, you know, Saul of Tarsus, who was a Pharisee of all Pharisees, a man who probably had memorized much of the Old Testament, is saying that he once was enslaved to the elementary principles of the world. And as we go further here, we're going to see a, a greater application to that. Thus far, all we've really done, we've shown how these elementary principles apply to the false religions of the day. We've looked at, you know, you think of fundamental components of the world. We think of the, the planets that are in our, in our uh, um, galaxy. What are they named? They're named after the, the ancient gods, aren't they? As we think of Neptune, we think of Mars, we think, and you can see how uh, these, these uh, planets, these fundamental components of the world were given spiritual names, uh, names after spiritual beings, and out of that comes a, a philosophy, if you will, a religion, if you will. There's the basic principles, and the more things change, the more they stay the same. You know, this is the environment that we live and we walk in. Now, I haven't said a whole lot of how that would apply to us if we were ancient Israelites with the Word and we had uh, our Bibles, which is the equivalent of our Old Testaments, and we're running around. We might think, well, you know, we, we're not worshiping Mars. We're not worshiping... Uh, as we go along, we're going to flesh that out and see how that applies a little bit more uh, to them. But that's, that's just kind of what's ahead here. But what Paul is saying here is he's saying that we once were enslaved to all of these things, but now, back to chapter 5, verse uh, 13, we're now free. 
We're now free from them. He says, you were called to freedom, brothers. He says, only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. Now let's look at verse 14. For the whole law is fulfilled in one word, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. Now, Paul's quoting from Leviticus 19, verse 18, right? And what did we do last week? We went back to Leviticus 19. And we took, we kind of, we, we very quickly went through all those verses in Leviticus 19, kind of quickly. And the whole purpose of that exercise was to show the interconnectedness, if you will, of the commandments. You know, I kind of picked on something that we do sometimes. Sometimes we bifurcate the commandments and we say, okay, the first four commandments have to do with our relationship with God and the remaining six have to do with our relationship with one another. And that's helpful in some contexts, but I think it actually gets in the way in other contexts. How do I say it gets the other way? Because I think sometimes we lose the, the, the continuity between all of them. What do I mean by that? Well, do we know our Ten Commandments? If we don't know our Ten Commandments, I want to show you a way you can learn them pretty quickly. If you turn, keep your place in Galatians. Keep your place in Galatians and go to Exodus 20. You can do this in Exodus 20. You can do a Deuteronomy 5. But Exodus 20, I think I'd recommend, I mean, either one, but Exodus 20. Let's use Exodus 20. And I just want to show you a really quick way you can get these down. Because I think it would be helpful. Exodus 20, page 61, if you're using the church's Bible. You know, we have a preface to the commandments, if you will, in verses 1 and 2, really verse 1. You know, the Lord says, I'm the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. And then we get the first commandment in verse 3, you shall have another gods before me. So you can get yourself a blank sheet of paper and you can say, okay, number one, no other gods. What's the first commandment? No other gods. I mean, this is the way I did it years and years ago. What's the first commandment? No other gods. Um, okay, what's the second commandment? Verse number four, you shall not make for yourself a carved image or any likeness of anything that is in heaven above. Okay, you could put down um, no, no carved images or you could put down idolatry, you know, uh, however you want to put it. Uh, that's commandment number two. Uh, what you're doing is you're getting the principles here. That'd be the second commandment. Third commandment's in verse number seven. You shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain. Okay, so don't misuse the Lord's name. That would be the third commandment. You write that down. Number three, uh, don't misuse the Lord's name. Number four is in verse eight. Remember the Sabbath day. So you write number four, remember the Sabbath day. Now, a lot of times we make a bifurcation. We say, okay, these first commandments, you know, they're, they're, they're vertical. You know, these, these, command, these commandments, we're, you know, we're looking up. Um, I think we need to be, that's helpful. I'm, I'm not saying it's not helpful. I think we need to be careful. And the more, the more we go on, I think we're going to see the reason for it. I brought this up last week. I want to emphasize it again. But let's go to the, what is often referred to as the second table. Verse number 12, honor your father and mother. So you can write number five, honor father and mother. Um, it's a little easier memorizing all of the words here, you know. Honor, honor your mother and father. Um, we come to number six, shall not murder. Pretty easy. You can just write it out the way it is. No murder, shall not murder. Number seven, shall not commit adultery. Number eight, that's verse 15, shall not steal. Number nine, you shall not bear false testimony. So you just put false testimony, no false testimony, however you want to word it uh, for number nine. And then number 10, you shall not covet your neighbor's house or just say you shall not covet. That would be enough. And, and then just... 
take that little slip of paper, put it in your front pocket or put it in your purse or put it wherever. And when you're standing in a checkout line, get it out. And I'll tell you, probably within a week, pretty quickly, you're all going to know the Ten Commandments. Um, you'll, you'll have them down. So when someone says, oh, the Seventh Commandment, you're like, okay, I got that. No adultery. Eighth Commandment, no. I mean, it, 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 in short order, you'll, you'll have it. Now, last week, I wanted to show some connectivity here uh, between the second table of the law, we often refer to, and the first table of the law, which we always refer to. And I want to show how these things are connected. You know, so just for the sake of, of an exercise this morning, let's take the last one and the first one. You know, uh, let's take the last one, which is you shall not what? Covet. Exactly. Okay, what is, what is coveting? You know, that's, that's wanting something in a way that's not proper, right? You know, it could take on all kinds of forms, you know. Let's just imagine for sake of illustration, we have a family. Family's living in an older home, a home that's, that needs modernized. The kitchen cabinets are wore out. The kitchen floors wore out. There's a whole bunch of things that are wore out, but the family's comfortable. They've been through some tough times, but they've always had enough to make it. The, the family's content with what they have. They're, they're thanking the Lord for what they have. There's enough money coming in to pay the bills. Things are, things are going good. And in God's providence, this family now is exposed to uh, a circle of folks that are in an economic situation that maybe is a rung or two above theirs. And they're invited to a party, and they go to a party, and guess what? Now they're suddenly in this home where the kitchen is fantastic. I mean, this is phenomenal. Look at this. Um, you know, after the party, you know, the, the wife hits it off with the wife of the owner of the house, and they say, you know, sometime when the kids are in school, we should go get lunch. So she swings by and picks her up, picks up her newfound friend and her brand new car, and you sit in the seat of the brand new car, you smell the brand new car smell, off you go to wherever. It's not a restaurant you normally go to, it's another restaurant because they're treating. And you can see how this can begin you begin to make you long for some of these things. Now, there's nothing wrong with longing for these things. There's nothing wrong with uh, longing for that stuff, as long as the longing doesn't become improper. Now, how would it become improper? Well, when covetousness starts setting in, guess what? When we return back to our home, now we begin to look on the blessings that we've received with contempt. That's how we can know the seeds of, of covetousness have begun to set. We start to look. Like I could use my truck as an example. You know, I like to use it as an example. I mean, Joanne's not here this morning, but I don't think she'd mind me sharing this. Um, you know, it'll be two years ago in March when we bought that truck. And I, I, you know, I was driving that poor old thing that I kept putting, um, patches on pop riveting patches. I kept saying every year when it came time to get that thing inspected one more year, one more year, you know, we're already tired the next year. And finally it's like, okay, uh, we, we've got to, we've got to replace this thing. And, as we were going to Florida that year, I, I, I just asked, you know, you know, we're going to try to buy something in Florida. And I didn't want to spend a lot of time on it because I didn't want to take away from the time that Tammy would have to visit with her sister because looking for a vehicle can be very time consuming. And really what we wanted, our prayer request was that we would find it, we would get it as quickly as possible, and we'd move on. And what was so, I mean, we're, we're I don't think we're even to Morgantown in the trip yet and we're getting texts. We're getting text messages. We're praying for the truck. 
like, oh my goodness, thank you. That's that's so sweet. You know, Jan was one of the ones. You know, we're praying, we're praying that the Lord will bless you with a truck. Well, you know what? We Tammy found this truck online while we're driving. And she goes, what do you think of this one? I look, and there's this white Silverado, 2009. I'm looking at it, I'm like, oh, looks good. Where's it at? It's in St. Augustine. Okay, it's like you could see the dealership right off of the highway we would be going down. Okay, it's right there. I said, all right, you know, they close at 8 o'clock. I don't think we're going to make it there by 8 o'clock, but let's let's go. We drive, we drive down there. Um we didn't make it on time. We could barely see the truck. It was dark. Um, I think we got there maybe at 8 o'clock. We got there right about 8 o'clock, but it was dark. We couldn't see it very well, but it looked great. We, we happened to stay in a hotel that was only like maybe a half a mile away. There was only one room left in the hotel. That's all we needed. It was really funny when we went in to check in. The lady said, well, we only got one room left. I said, well, that's all we're asking for is one room, so we'll take it. <laughs> and so we stay there. We're back at the dealership the next morning, and as quickly as we could buy that truck, we bought that truck, and off we went. And now having owned it for all this time, it has been fantastic. You know, it's 14 years old, but it's, it, I wanted something that wasn't all rusted up. It's not rusty. Uh, it runs really good, et cetera. Now, let's suppose that in God's providence, I bump into somebody and guess what? They're driving a brand new whatever. Okay, that's fine. Maybe we would long. I personally do not want that payment book that would come with that thing. That's the reason we bought what we bought. But it's possible that we could begin. Our hearts are such that we always need to be on our guard against this to where we can begin to covet. We can begin to long for the possessions of another in a way that's not proper. And, and I can know that I'm starting to covet when I sit in my seat. Now that I need a new, I need to replace the cushion in the seat of the truck because it's worn to the point you now at this point can feel a spring in the seat. So it's really time. I mean, I, it's just something this winter I hope to do it, to pull the seat cover off, put another one on. It's no big deal. Um, but you begin to say, man, this seat and this and that and this and that. And you can begin to look at this blessing with contempt. Now, here's where the relationship between number 10 and number 1 come in. You're, you're, you're now no longer thanking the Lord for that great blessing that you once thanked him for. You follow me? Here's where the relation sits in. In fact, Paul draws a relationship between the, uh, the 10th commandment and the second commandment when he says that covetousness in Colossians 3, I think it's verse 5, when he says uh, that covetousness is what? It's idolatry. So there he is making, he's, he's there connecting, if you will. He's connecting the 10th commandment with the second one. But let's connect the 10th commandment with the first. As we begin, this family, you know, that was happy in their home, thanking God for all their blessings, until this new circle of friends came about, and they're starting to look at all these things with contempt. And if this is left go, I mean, we can actually become bitter. We can become resentful of people who have things that we don't have. You know all that, right? I mean, I want to turn this into a message on covetousness, my, which wouldn't be a bad thing. I don't think it would be a bad thing at all. Uh, but however, what I want us to see is if we're going to bomb commandment number 10, 
It's just not so. In the West, especially in conservative churches, we like everything to be nice and neat, black and white, diagrammed. First table of the law, four commandments, second table of the law, six commandments. It's not that simple. You bomb out on number 10, and you have bombed out on number one. As if we're walking around with covetous hearts, we're going to begin to resent people who have, whether it be athletic abilities or singing abilities or musical abilities or whatever, things it, it can take on any form. If we're starting to want those things in ways that are not proper, we begin to allow the seeds of covetousness to come in. We're going to become grumblers, aren't we? And what is the language of grumbling? The language of grumbling at the end of the day, regardless of the verbiage is used, sends one message back to God, and it's this. God, you just haven't been good enough to me. Okay, what would lead us to conclude that? A desire to want these things more than our desire to want him. Problem with the first, because you see the relationship that I'm talking about here. And I think that sometimes... During the commandments, first table of the law to God, second table of the law, that's not a bad thing in some context. But I think if we go back to Galatians chapter 3, or Galatians chapter 5, verse 14, that we miss the import of verse 14, where Paul says the whole law is fulfilled in one word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. We might think, wait a second, how can I... How can I possibly be keeping the entire law of God by loving my neighbor as myself? Now, this is where I want to give an illustration that I think is really not only going to explain that, but it's actually going to explain the freedom that Paul is talking about. Now, mind you, the freedom that Paul's talking about isn't freedom to do whatever you want or to live any way that you want. It's freedom to become like Christ, right? That's what we talked about last week. Now, I want to go a step further than that. Okay, how does this work? Last, last week, I used the illustration of, of driving. You know, I want to use an illustration I think we can all relate with. You know, the speed limit sign. You know the dreaded speed limit sign. You know, when it says 45, it means you can go 55. You know that dreaded speed limit sign. Okay, we're driving. Here's the scenario. We've got, we're trying to get to a destination whether it be vacation home or whether it be a, a work conference or whatever it is, we have our thing going on. We want to be at a certain place by 3 o'clock in the afternoon. So we go, off we go. We're on four lanes largely most of the way. You get off the four lane at some point, you've got another 50 miles or so to do through the country. All right, so you're driving along two-lane roads, and next thing you know, it goes into four lane. Pretty cool. Here we are. We're able to go 55 miles an hour. For a period of time, this is what we're doing. We're cruising along 55. Next thing we know, uh, we see the four lane goes down to two lanes, 45. All right, slowing down. We're looking at our clocks. Okay, we're going 45. We're not going 46. We're going 45. That's what the speed limit sign says. But then we see it's reduced speed ahead. It's 35. We're starting to see that houses are kind of closer together. There's driveways that go right out onto the road. Um, 35 miles an hour. Next thing we know, before we know it, we're starting to see storefronts, sidewalks on both sides of the road. It's now 25 miles an hour. Starting to see some businesses with parking lots that are kind of narrow. Um, 
puts you in mind maybe of the subway out there on Route 30 where that bar- back and out of there is kind of dangerous, actually. Um, we're seeing things like that. Um, it's 25. Someone pulls out in front of you. They're going 20 in a 25. We're looking at our clocks. It's 25. We're not going to go any faster than 25. It's 25. Come on, come on, come on, come on, come on, come on. And then all at last, boom, it's 45 again. What do you do? 45. Not 46. 45. Then it goes out to four lanes again. You're going 55 again. Okay, now we're happy. It's 55. We're looking at the clock, trying to do our thing. Did we break the law? When it said 55, we didn't go 56. When it said 45, we didn't go 46 or faster. Same thing with 35, same thing with 25. Did we break the law? When we were allowed to go 45 again, we went 45. In fact, we could be kind of proud of ourselves that we didn't break the law because oftentimes 45 means 50, right? In common parlance, how many times have you heard people say, well, they'll usually give you 10. That means 55, you can go up to 65, right? Am I the only one who's been guilty of doing that? Your facial expressions give you away. <laughs> I can see you. <laughs> you can see me. <laughs> That's why I wanted to use this illustration. Now, I want to give another illustration. Here's another scenario. Same deadline, same trip, same destination, same time, same everything. We're traveling. We do the highways, we do the four lanes, we get down to the last 50 miles of our trip, it's through the country. We get on the two-lane road, it goes to four lane, it's 55, we're traveling 55. And as we're traveling along, suddenly we see up ahead, we see that the four lane's given way to two lane. And when we see that, we just start to slow down a little bit, okay? It's not four lane no more, it's two lane. We just slow down a little bit. Then we start noticing houses are a little closer together, and we see these driveways that are coming out to the homes. So we slow down a little bit more. But then before long, we start to see the storefronts, and look at these parking lots. How do they get in and out of the parking lots? And and we see that there's a sidewalk on both sides of the road. What does a sidewalk on both sides of the road mean? It means there's pedestrians. It means there's people who walk their dogs. It means that they're Maybe there, there, there could be children playing in yards. We see yards next to the road. We just slow down. We just slow down. Um, for all we know, a, a dog could run out in front of us, somebody's pet, a child could be chasing a ball. Um, then we notice somebody trying to back out. They look like they've got a, do you ever see a person trying to back out whose neck just doesn't, you ever, you ever see somebody do that? Back, I used to work with a guy, he couldn't turn his neck. You know, I worked for him, and he had to turn his whole body to turn his neck. Now, he was really good with his rearview mirrors, but not everybody is. You know, when he wanted to turn, he'd have to turn his whole body kind of like this, and we notice somebody backing out. They can't see, so we slow way down. Maybe we even just wave them on. Well, then the houses become further apart. There's no sidewalk no more. Um, we, we speed up a little bit. Then we see it's four-lane again. We pick the pace back up. We've had the same deadline. We want to be there by three. In the course of all of this, how fast did we did we go? Possibly we went slower than the speed limit. By way, the speed limit, if we've ever paid any attention, it's speed limit. It's the maximum speed that we're allowed to go. 
Most of the time we see 45, that means you go 45. But actually, it's a limit sign. That's the maximum speed you go at. But we went through this, and we saw all these things. And as we were going through this community, we're thinking about our deadline, all right. But we're thinking about the people that live in this community. It's their dogs and cats that could run out onto the road. It's their children who are playing in the yard that could come out on the street. It's someone a little clumsy just learning to ride a bicycle that could come out in front of us. It's somebody's grandfather trying to get out of the stop and go who can't move his neck. So we slow down. We see all these things. We're concerned about the people. And mind you, we don't know them. We don't know them. We've never met them. But they're image bearers of God, and they're our neighbors in this world, right? So we slow down through this area. And, you know, if someone was monitoring us with a GPS, they might, they might discover that when it, was, when it was 45, we were going 43. When it was 35, we were going 29. And when it was 25, at times, we were going 16. It all depended on what we were watching. But we were watching what we were watching because of our love, if you will, for that community. Did we obey the law? Actually, we did. You see, in the first scenario, we go through the town relatively indifferent to the occupants of that town. That's just, I look at my heart, and too often, that is where I'm at. You know, it's like, we don't wish any harm on other people. We wouldn't do that. We don't wish, we, we want the best for everybody, but we're so caught up in our thing. Three o'clock, we want to be at this certain destination. And, and when we're functioning that way, that speed limit sign, it just imprisons us. I mean, then we see it, 25, come on, 24, 25. I'm going 25 miles an hour, but the whole time it's constraining, isn't it? That speed limit sign is constraining. It's, 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 it's constraining us. We want to go faster the whole time we're going 25 because we, want, we got our thing going on and we want to get to it. But in the second scenario, because we're caught up with concern and just love for the people in the area, we're actually going slower. It's because we've been set free. Notice verse 13 and 14. Paul says, For you were called to freedom, brothers. Only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh. Let's put that aside for a moment. But look at the second, the last part of the verse. But through love, serve one another, for the whole law is fulfilled in one word. In the second scenario, we never needed a speed limit sign. Not in one place. Because our love for the people in the community who we've never met has dictated that we slow down because very clearly we're seeing we're going into a more populated area and in a place where accidents are more prone to happen. And as we think about that, well, gee, that sounds a lot like Jesus, doesn't it? Because as he navigated through this world, well, how did he navigate through this world? He navigated through this world out of love for the Father primarily, 
but also love for everybody else, didn't he? And you see, what Paul is saying is we have been set free, brothers and sisters, not to act any way we want or to behave any way we want, but we've been free so that we can become like Christ. And as we become like Christ and become more centered on love for one another, guess what? You don't even really need speed limit signs anymore. I'm not suggesting we take them down. But what I want to show is how we can be, and that's why if you look at verse 18, if you're led by the Spirit, you're not under the law. What's Paul mean by that? There's a number of things there. One, I think what he what's ultimately meant by that is we're no longer under that dispensation, that former dispensation. Um, let me flesh out something that I said, you know, if we get time this morning, I think we have some time. It's based, I think we have some time. If I'm reading you all properly, we have a few more minutes. Um, these elementary principles of the world that Paul's been talking about, throughout the course of our study, we've largely applied those to the Gentiles who were serving all these, these pagan religions, right? How does it apply to, say, a Saul of Tarsus, who had probably memorized much of the Old Testament, if not the entire Old Testament. How does it apply to them? Well, to the ancient Israelite, you know, and I'm, I'm indebted to um, Jay Fesco and um, a few others for these observations. You know, to the ancient Israelite, their mind, when, when Paul would mention slavery and being enslaved, it's probably hard. I think, I think these scholars are right. It'd probably be hard if we were ancient Israelites and we're hearing slavery and we're hearing elementary principles of the world. I think it would be hard for us to not think about our forefathers who were enslaved in Egypt under Pharaoh. And, um, you know, okay, we, our forefathers are delivered out of Egypt, right? You have the 10 plagues leading to the final plague on the firstborn, you have the Passover, if you will. Um, you have this uh, Moses. Moses is used to lead people, lead the uh, uh, Israelites out of Egypt and through the Red Sea and out into the wilderness, if you will. And later they would be led into the promised land. And as they go into the promised land, they're, of course, led across the Jordan uh, River that's at flood stage, all of that. Um, Jay Fasco and some others say, you know, in the Jewish mind, in the ancient Israelite mind, it's probably likely that this language of slavery to the elementary principles of the world would have taken them back to where their people, their forefathers, were enslaved in Egypt. Now, out in the wilderness is where they're given the Mosaic Covenant, right? Out in the wilderness is where they receive the law, right? And the problem that has taken place, and we know this, we know this from Romans, we know this from other places in the Scripture, is that these laws, these Mosaic laws, they're not bad in themselves. The law is holy, righteous, and good, says Paul in Romans 7, right? But the problem is they were using the law in order to try to gain favor with God, right? That's the problem. And here, here is this enslavement, if you will. It's a lot like living, okay, the speed limit sign says 25. Okay, I'm not going to go 26. But the whole time, I'm wanting to go 45, I really just want to barrel through there. I don't want anyone to get hurt. Just this one time, let me do it. I want to get to my destination. I want to get these bags out of the car. I want to get settled in. It's, it's my thing that I want to do. And, but there's this constraining, pesky speed limit sign, if you will, that's in my way. 
And Paul's saying that we formerly, we were enslaved to those speed limit signs. We were enslaved to all of these things. Whereas now we've been called to freedom. And how have we been called to freedom? It's just an entirely new, but you know what? This is one of the greatest principles. It's one of the greatest principles to be set free from the elementary princes of the world so that we can now become Christ-like. Think of the freedom of entering that town now in a Christ-like way. I'm setting an ideal here, and I'm setting it. I'm not telling you, Tammy is my witness, and Tammy will tell you. If you can get her to speak at all, she probably won't say anything negative about me, but if you can pry it out of her, I'm not always like this when I'm traveling. Sometimes we look down and I'm going 10 miles an hour. I don't want to give you the impression this is how I, it should be how I drive. It's not always, I have the same problem. I'm using this as an example because I struggle with the exact same things that everyone else here struggles with. But what Paul is saying is that used to be where we were. And it makes no difference whether you're a, a Gentile Galatian or you're a, an ancient Israelite Galatian. This is where we are at until Christ comes and the gospel comes. And we see the Messiah doing the unthinkable, which is what? Going to the cross. The idea of the Messiah going to the cross and dying. Why is he going to the cross? Because he has his love for the Father. What does he say in the Garden of Gethsemane? Lord, if there be another way, take this cup from me, but not as I will, as you will. Why? Because he loved following the Father more than he loved life itself. But there's a second reason for that. And we're told it was for the joy set before him that he endured the shame and the anguish of the cross, isn't it? And who was the joy that was set before him? Fulfilling the, the desire of the Father for sure, but saving you and I. Love constrained him. You know, it's a, it's a new slavery. We're actually saved from slavery for slavery. Look, look at verse 13 again. And we'll close. He says, for you were called to freedom, brothers. Skip the second line there. But through love, serve one another. This word serve is the verb form of the Greek word doulos. And some of you would be familiar with the word doulos. Because it's in, sometimes you'll find that word in the margin notes of your Bible. You'll find it when you come across doulos the translation may say servant, and there'll be a footnote, and you go to the bottom of the page, and it'll have the word slave, which means that it could be translated servant, it could be translated slave. It's a servant-slave, the word doulos. If we lived in the first century, we would know that word quite well. It speaks of a person who is enslaved into servanthood, into servitude, if you will. And what Paul is saying here. In using that word, as he's saying that we have been called to freedom, what is this freedom? It's a form of slavery. But it's not the slavery to the elementary principles. No, we've been freed from that. It's not this constraining speed limit sign that's just infringing on what we want to do. It's freedom to love. In that second scenario I gave, you didn't need a speed limit sign. Why? It was because of love. You kind of forget about your own thing because you're concerned about the people in that neighborhood. Could you imagine if the entire world lived that way, what this world would be like? I'll tell you what it will be like. The new heavens and earth that's promised. It's 
every child of God. That's what it'll be like. That's what our future looks like. And what Paul's saying is, this is our future. Let's begin to act and behave like we belong in that future. Does that make sense? So he says, you were called to freedom, brothers. Do not use your freedom as an opportunity to flesh. Love fulfills the law, doesn't it? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, we so thank you for what I think this is one of the most liberating principles that you give us in your word. So if we're tracking with this and we're really processing this, it should feel like a weight lifted from our shoulders. It just should feel like a burden just taken off of our backs. Oh, Father, it's what it is. It's not that we've been called. It's not that we're free to do whatever we want or whatever we please, but we're actually free to begin loving one another. And as we go through those towns, Lord, oh, if we could go through those towns the way Jesus goes through those towns, we'd go through those towns concerned about the people that live in them and the grandparents that could be backing out on the street or the dogs that could possibly run out on the, off the sidewalk or children fall on their bicycle in front of you, Lord. We wouldn't need a speed limit sign. We wouldn't be constrained by any such thing. We'd be constrained by love for that neighbor, that neighborhood, love for people that we don't know. We could be set free from indifference to people and now enslaved to love for them. Father, there's no, none of us can, none of us make any claims to be living this way perfectly, but Father, we thank you that this is the destination. We thank you that, Lord, when this earthly pilgrimage takes us to our final destination, that you will make us like this for all eternity. And we look forward to that. Oh, Father, we thank you for that. Oh, Father, we, um, we thank you for your word, which uh, truly does purify our souls. Father, we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.